0: It is nice to be with you this morning in Hamilton Baptist Church and uh, to have the privilege of looking at the scriptures uh, with you. So the series that's ongoing in the church at the minute is a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I'd like to just read Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and then uh, Psalm 89 verses 1 through 8. So those are the readings for this morning first then galatians 5:22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control and against such things there is no law And then a psalm which at least begins by uh, recalling God's faithfulness, Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Well, just a prayer as we ask God to help us as we ponder his word This morning. Father, we sit with our Bibles open in front of us and we come now to ask for the help and the illumination of your Holy Spirit. We pray that ultimately he will be our teacher and we pray, Lord, that we will be thrilled and enraptured to our innermost beings by your faithfulness. We pray, Lord, that we will feel greatly the responsibility and the challenge to reflect something of that faithfulness to those that we meet and those that we do life with. So we pray for help from heaven, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess the first question to ask on a sermon when it comes to a sermon on faithfulness is what exactly is faithfulness. I guess that would be a fair starting point. The Greek word pistis is sometimes used for believing, the word that's used in this text, sometimes used for believing. But in this context, it clearly refers to, or it clearly means loyalty, dependability, trustworthiness. It refers to somebody who is Utterly reliable, someone that you can count on. Obviously, it's the opposite to being untrustworthy, the kind of person that you couldn't trust as far as you would throw. A friend, but only when it suits. Dependable, as long as it's not too costly and it doesn't put them out. A friend, but only for selfish reasons the kind of person who doesn't love you enough to tell you the truth and instead only always ever wants to make you feel happy and wants you to like them. That's not a true friend, not a faithful friend. I probably don't need to spend a ton of time defining the word. We all have a fair idea as to what faithfulness is. And faithfulness can be seen at every level of life. I think about faithful ministers or faithful pastors. I was reading about Charles Simeon who became the minister of Holy Trinity Church in uh, Cambridge in 1783. And for the first 12 years of his ministry he faced fierce opposition. Those uh, who Paid a stipend or whatever it was for the pews for, to sit in certain boxed pews, uh, didn't come to hear him and locked their pews so that no one else could sit in their seats. And so he asked for forms and, and uh, benches to be brought in, and the deacons threw them out. But it seems that he stayed for 54 years in that church until he died. And when he died, he was described as the finest religious influence in England. Or you could think of Hugh Latimer if you were looking for a faithful minister who was ordered to preach before the king. The king was offended by his sermon and invited him to come the following Sabbath to apologize for the sermon that he had preached the previous Sunday. And so Latimer returned and preached exactly the same sermon all over again to the king. There are examples uh, in the scriptures of faithfulness, faithfulness not just in uh, ministry, but I guess faithfulness to the Lord. You could think of Daniel and his three friends who were hundreds of miles away from their parents' influence, probably having been snatched from Jerusalem, hundreds of miles away from the temple. And yet they were asked by King Nebuchadnezzar to bow to a golden image and they refused even when they were threatened with a furnace and they told the king you can throw us in the furnace if you, if you please and God can save us if he pleases but even if he chooses not to we won't bow to your golden image because the only person that we give that kind of homage to is Yahweh Yahweh and they ended up in a furnace, faithfulness to the the Lord. We can think of faithfulness at a variety of levels. I think of my grandparents, who were faithfully married to each other and committed to each other for nearly 60 years. I think of an employee in a family business, someone who was always on time and never knocked off early, who could be trusted to undertake any task given to him that he, would, that he would do it to the best of his ability. And he worked for almost 50 years for the same company, a faithful employee. We can think of faithful friends. I think of somebody that I worked with in ministry for a number of years, one of my assistants when I was a pastor of a church in Canada. And, uh, well... In, in a past ministry let me put it like that he didn't work with me in Canada but this took place when I was in Canada and uh, he had been converted from an alcoholic and drug abuse background He became a Christian went to Bible college theological college became a pastor was an assistant and like a stealth bomber it Alcoholism crept up and destroyed him once again and he crashed out of ministry and he crashed out of his marriage and made a complete mess of his life. And everybody dropped him. But I noticed that there were friends who gathered around him, prayed for him, prayed with him, spent time with him, just sat with him and cared deeply about him. Faithful friends. Faithfulness can be seen at every level of life. Well, Christian faithfulness as a fruit of the Spirit is our subject this morning, and I want to look at three things in regard to faithfulness. First of all, its source. Where does it come from? Secondly, a little bit about its shape. What does it look like? And thirdly, I'd like to think a little bit about its significance. Why in the world is it so important? So those are the three things. They make sense to me. I hope they make sense to you. First of all, then, the source, and where does it come from? Well, first of all, I would say that it's a product of grace, this faithfulness. The danger in a series like this is to lose sight of the original context within which this passage that we are studying is set. And the fruit of the Spirit is part of a letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian Christians. He had recently founded these churches with his friend and mentor Barnabas, in the southern province of the uh, southern province of Galatia, Roman province of Galatia, and then after he had founded the church, uh, churches he had returned to Antioch, which was his home church, his sending church, if you will, and from which Barnabas and he had been sent out. And when he got back to Antioch, he was there for a while, and he heard about people who had infiltrated these churches in Galatia. Uh, they were sowing the seeds of doctrinal confusion Uh, they were insisting uh, that gentile converts would need to come under the mosaic code if they wanted to be accepted as equals in the family of faith that is to say that gentile christians knew gentile converts would need to be circumcised. They would need to adhere to Jewish dietary regulations and they would need to observe Jewish calendar days if they ever thought that they would be accepted as equals in the family of God, in the church of Christ. Paul wrote this letter of Galatians to address that confusion. And in a prolonged and densely packed argument, he makes his case that a person is justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. A person is made right in God's sight by faith in Christ through faith in Christ alone and not through any additional works of the law. Now um, Paul, it seems, anticipated the response of the Judaizers to uh, his argument and to the point that he had been making, and he knew that they would be saying, so does that mean then that a Christian can just live as they please, do whatever they like, that as long as they can claim that they've got faith in Christ, to put their faith in Christ's atoning work on the cross, that that is all that's required. They can then just live as they please because they have a ticket to heaven in their back pocket. And of course that's not what Paul is teaching. He clearly believed that when a person became a Christian they became new creatures in Christ. And here in Galatians chapter 5 he explains that a Christian is somebody who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And therefore of necessity they cannot live as they please. There are certain things because they have the spirit living within them. Energizing them. Transforming them. Directing them. There are certain things that they will recoil from. And he gives us a long list of things in verses 19 and 20. And there are other things that they will manifest and display. Because the spirit is in them. Influencing them, energizing them, directing them, overflowing into their lives. So to answer the question, where does this fruit come from? It comes, it's the, it's the product of the Holy Spirit's transforming, uh, energizing, directing presence within us. When by grace we are converted, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift and the Holy Spirit begins to transform us and overflow into our lives. And Paul's point is obvious, and it's simple. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves does not come alone. We are not saved by fruit, but the salvation that we have is not fruitless. It results in fruitfulness Faithfulness, then, is the overflow of Christ's resident spirit within us. It's innate to our new nature. Faithfulness is not something that we suddenly decide, I better attach faithfulness to my life. It is the evidence of a new heart wrought in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So my neighbor has a beautiful cherry tree in his garden, and it's just recently come out in cherry blossoms, well, a little earlier in the spring but in in the winter it looks kind of bare and it looks a bit grim and, a, and and a bit dull and so at christmas time he attaches lights to it to brighten it up but those lights have nothing to do with the tree he attaches them they're additional attachments that he puts on the tree and that's how it is with this faithfulness that we are thinking about here this is not something that we merely attach to our lives this is something that overflows Because of the spirit within us, it's innate to our new nature, a desire to be faithful. So it's a fitting question for me, at least, to face and a fitting question for you to face. Are you marked by faithfulness? And as people watch you and observe you in the classroom, at school, at work, in the lecture hall, wherever it is, would they ever say of you that's a faithful person that's someone that you can depend on there's a reliability there it's just innate to their nature I don't know what it is about them but there's something very faithful about them well the second thing that I want to flag up is this that not only is it a, a product of grace but it's an attribute of God and uh That's where Psalm 89 comes in. Faithfulness is an essential attribute of God. When when I say it's an essential attribute of God, I I mean God could not be God unless he was faithful. God has to be faithful to be God. He could not be the God of Scripture if he was not faithful, if he was undependable. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God and that he is a faithful God. Lamentations three thirty three. 33, God's compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every day I receive tokens of your faithfulness. And this is the faithfulness from which Christian faithfulness springs. It's a God of faithfulness that takes up residence in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And uh, faithfulness is one of God's communicable attributes. It's an attribute that he shares with us, his people. We could have discussed God's faithfulness in a number of ways, but there are a couple of things that I want to just flag, out, flag up uh, from Psalm 89 uh, that I, we read together. So we could have looked at God's faithfulness in nature. We could have looked at God's faithfulness in redemption. We could have looked at God's faithfulness in the process of glorification, the glorification of his people. But there's a couple of things that I want to try and pick up on from Psalm 89. Um, And in this psalm, the psalmist begins. It's not an easy psalm, Psalm 89. I'm not sure who chose it, but it's maybe one of the hardest psalms in the Psalter. Because he begins by rehearsing, recalling God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness in his love for David and the covenant that he made with David. But by the end of the psalm, he's lamenting. How could you have promised this God? And this is what has happened to the Davidic king. He's been deposed. He's been cast down. It appears as if he's been rejected. So it's a very honest psalm, and the psalmist is really wrestling with God. He's pouring his heart out to God. I believe that you're faithful. I believe that you're faithful in what you say. I believe that you're faithful in your love. But how is it that this has taken place? How could this have taken place if you are faithful? That's the struggle of this psalm and and this psalmist. It's not an easy psalm. But nevertheless, of course, we believe that... uh, the promises made to David about his son sitting on a throne forever are fulfilled ultimately in Christ because Christ is the one who will be king throughout eternity. He is the one who will take possession of the kingdoms of this world and will reign forever and ever. But the psalmist couldn't see that and he's reeled in real torment. But a couple of things that I want to pick up on. First of all, He does believe, nevertheless, at the beginning of the psalm in God's faithful love. He says, I will sing of your your love forever, he says. And he says, I'll declare the Lord's love stands firm forever. God's love is constant. The psalmist believes that. It never falters and it never fluctuates. That's the amazing thing about God's love. And if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian... Try and wrap your head around this for a minute. God will not love you more at any time or at any point in the future than he loves you at this very moment. There will never be a point in history where God will love you more than he loves you as you sit in this chair this morning if you are a Christian. And his love will never fluctuate. It never rises or falls. It is absolutely constant. And he remains committed to his people, in love, even when they are unfaithful. So we think of Israel as she found herself, as they found themselves in Egypt, and yet God hears their cry and sends Moses to redeem them and bring them to them, to himself at Mount Sinai. You think about the Israelites as they end up in exile. Because they spend their time worshipping the Canaanite gods. Rather than the God that brought them out of Egypt. And they end up in exile in Babylon. And what does God do? Has he cast them off forever? No. He sends a letter. And he says to them. Don't be afraid. Because I'll be with you. And I'll help you. And I'll strengthen you. And even though you've been unfaithful to me. I will be faithful to you. In my great hesed love in the new testament that's equally true john 8 20 jesus told his disciples that he knew his sheep and his sheep knew him and he would give them eternal life and no one would ever snatch them from his hand the lord is committed in love to the well-being of his people when your mind is a thousand miles away from the lord his mind is never far from you How precious are your thoughts to me, O God, and how vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more in number than the sands on the seashore. Even when your mind is a thousand miles from God, his mind is always trained on you. When you wandered, he remained faithful. Faithful in his love. Remember what he said to Peter in the upper rooms? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But when you come again, when you you turn back again, strengthen your brothers. And, 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 And sure enough, he did turn back again, just as Jesus had promised, because Jesus pursued him in his failure. Remember what the angel said to the women at the tomb? Go and tell the disciples that he's going before them into Galilee, and he wants to meet them there. And don't you dare forget to tell Peter. Don't forget to tell Peter. And remember on Easter Sunday, the two on the Emmaus Road, when they went back to Jerusalem, they found that the disciples were believing in the resurrection. Why? Because he had appeared to Peter. See, Jesus didn't wait until Peter got to Galilee to single him out and find him and draw him back. The Lord's great love for his people. He who has called us is faithful. And, uh, you know, where would we have been this morning, Where would any of us have been this morning if it had been left to us? I've been a Christian now for, I, I think, 40 years. I would have changed my mind a thousand times from the moment I first believed until now. A thousand times. But I'm still here, and I'm still pressing on with Jesus, and so are you. Why? Because Jesus is faithful, a faithful, loving shepherd. And the other thing that the psalmist picks up on this psalm, and I should pick up the pace now, is God's faithful word. God's faithful word, Psalm uh, 89, he speaks about the promises that he made um, to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and he rehearses them and he recalls them. And that's why he's so confused, because they haven't been fulfilled or played out in history as he imagined that they would be. But the point is God's covenant, God's powerful promises are absolutely trustworthy. Everything that God promises he will do. That's why the psalmist is so perplexed. And so in the Garden of Eden, after the fall, God met with Adam and Eve and he said to them, one of your descendants will crush the head of the serpent. God told Abraham, That through you and your descendants, all the people of the earth will be blessed. And we read in Galatians 4 verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. To redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so you see the faithfulness of God's word. Not just to David, but in the whole plan of redemption. God is utterly dependable. As I think about the psalmist and his struggle, I realize that that is the reality of life for many people. When life is full of pain and heartache and things take place that we wish hadn't taken place, and we wonder how God can ever be working all things together for our good, we're in in turmoil and we're perplexed, but we must trust him that he will yet work it out even though we don't understand it. So God is faithful. And when God by his Spirit begins to transform us, it overflows in faithfulness in our lives. So here's the second thing. Not just the source, but the shape of faithfulness. Well, faithfulness in our walk with God, I, I guess that's where we would need to start as we think about what, is, what does faithfulness really look like. We, we would need to say it, it, it would start with a faithful walk with God. And I think that that would include a number of things. I think it would include, first of all, loyalty, wouldn't it? A faithful walk with God would be a loyal walk with God. I mean, at school, in the dining hall, or in the canteen, in the office, in the workplace, are we openly committed to Christ? Do people know that we are followers of Jesus? Is there a sense of loyalty? We're absolutely loyal to Jesus above everything else. No cowering in a corner. Just a faithful walk with God. Loyalty. Consistency. A faithful walk with God is surely a walk with God that's marked by consistency. It demonstrates a steady commitment to Christ. These people love him. They love to sing about him. They love to sing to him. They want to read about him, talk about him, talk to others about him. There's just a consistency. Consistency. Every time you meet them, it's clear that they love the Lord and that they're walking with the Lord. It's possible to blow hot and cold, isn't it, in the Christian life? To be a bit like the the men of the grand old Duke of York? I walked past the statue of him the other day and that's what brought him to mind. The grand old Duke of York who had a thousand men and marched them up to the top of the hill and then marched them down again. And when they were up, they were up. And when they were down, they were down. And when they were only halfway up, they were neither up nor down. And it's possible to be like that in the Christian life. But I think a faithful walk with God is marked by consistency. There's a steadiness, a consistency in our walk with God. I think a faithful walk with God is marked by perseverance, isn't it? I mean, just a a, 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 a determination. A faithful Christian is not one who is here today and gone tomorrow. A faithful Christian walks with the Lord through thick and thin. He trusts, she trusts God even when she doesn't understand him. They are there in good times and in hard times. They're in it for the long haul. Surely a faithful walk with God is marked by perseverance. Faithful walk with God in every season of life. Some people, you know, when they're younger, they are on fire for God, and then when all kinds of other commitments crowd in, like work and family, somehow they descend like a burnt out rocket. And there's no persevering, surely a faithful walk with God. If the Spirit is overflowing in faithfulness, there will be a sense in which there will be a sense of perseverance in our walk with God. Well, more could be said about that. Let's think a little bit about character. If the spirit is overflowing in faithfulness, it will, it will affect and shape our character, won't it? A faithful person will be a dependable person. They will speak the truth. What they say is what they will do. They will be reliable. They will follow through on promises that they make. They will step up to meet commitments that they have. They will faithfully carry out their work in their place of employment. Their employers will trust them. When I think of faithfulness, I I think of individuals in the churches that I have served as pastor. And they were always people who were there. You could ask them to do anything. They were utterly dependable. Utterly faithful. They were just absolutely committed. When I think about faithfulness in church life, those are the people that I think about. If you were looking for someone to do a job, they would be the first people that would come to your mind because they were just always there. Are we faithful? And can people depend on us? Would anyone say, you know, he or she is faithful? Well, what about relationships? If the Spirit is overflowing in faithfulness, it will affect our relationships, our marriages. Are we faithful to our spouse? Is there a recognition of the sacred union that exists between me and my spouse? And am I faithful to her? Not just in the way that I behave around others, but also in my mind. Because Jesus made that clear in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? That faithfulness affects what I think and how I think about things. Faithfulness in marriage. I guess we could think about faithful parents parents who didn't always get it right and I have five children and I know a little bit about not getting it right lots and lots and lots of times didn't always get it right but are we the kind of parents who faithfully try to influence our children for good and for God even though we didn't always get it right Are we faithful in our responsibilities as parents, entrusted with with the care and the directing of these young lives by God? Faithfulness in the role of parenthood, faithfulness in friendship. A real friend is someone who cares enough and is there for you and cares enough to tell you the truth, even though you don't want to hear it. Are we the kind of friends that have dropped others when it became costly, when the heat was turned up? Or have we been faithful friends? Here's the thing. It's nice to have a friend like that in your life, a faithful friend. But it's another thing altogether to be a person like that in the life of another, a faithful friend. Well, here's the last thing. And with this, we'll be finished. The significance. Why is it so important? And there are three quick things. One is it's a mark of authenticity. It's a sign that a person is the real deal. If we're characterized by an obvious and glaring lack of faithfulness. If we're utterly undependable, independable. And if no one can trust us. Then how could we ever say that we are indwelt by the spirit of a faithful God? How could we ever say that the spirit of a faithful God is overflowing into our lives? We couldn't. I just want to say one thing by way of clarification on that, and that is that there is room for growth. I believe that sanctification is a process. I used to live in a fruit. Growing valley, And you would walk out in the spring and you would see the little buds appearing and then the bloom would appear. And then you come back and you see these tiny little balls appearing on the trees. And then as the summer developed, they got bigger and bigger. And then when you went in the autumn, there they were, you could grab them from the trees, pears and apples and peaches and all kinds of things. But it didn't just appear on the tree instantaneously, and that's how it is in the work of sanctification as God's Spirit molds us and shapes us and directs us and refines us. We can't expect that faithfulness, a full-orbed version of faithfulness, such as we see in God or in Jesus, will appear on, on the branches of the life of a brand new Christian. There's got to be room for growth. But surely there's got to be some evidence to some degree, that a faithful God lives within us and is overflowing into our lives. Well, it's, it's a mark of authenticity. Finally, secondly and quickly, it's a, it's a faithfulness is a signpost, isn't it? it? It reflects God. It allows us to show others that God is faithful. If we're faithful, people might stop and ask us, Why are you so concerned about being dependable, reliable? And you'll have a chance to say, because God has been dependable and reliable in my life. And I want to reflect that in the way that I treat you. So that somehow I might point you to him. We had one of our assistant pastors was asked to go and cut a lady's grass who was going through chemotherapy she wasn't a Christian she didn't trust him she looked out the window at him all summer as he went down and cut her grass and cut her hedge never spoke a word to her and at the end of the summer she came out and she gave him a glass of water and she said to him why do you want to be kind to me and you know what he said because God has been kind to me And I want to show kindness to you so that somehow you might give me an opportunity to tell you about the kindness of the God who has been kindness to me. And he sat down and began to read the Bible with her and she became a Christian. She joined our church. Kindness. Somehow allows us uh, faithfulness. That was kindness. But if we are faithful, surely in the same way we will reflect the faithfulness of God. And finally, then, faithfulness rewarded. Faithfulness rewarded. Remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? One was given one talent, one was given two talents, and one was given five talents. And the man who was given one buried it. And when the master returned from his travels, he, he produced the talent that he had buried, and he gave it to his master. And the master said to him, you lazy and wicked servant. But the man who had been given two talents produced two more and the man who had been given five talents produced five more and what did the master say to them well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful in little things and I will set you over greater things enter into the joy of the Lord somehow I was struck by the fact that faithfulness is marked out for reward Jesus is not looking for success See, some of us might think, well, I'm just slaving away in Sunday school in Hamilton Baptist Church. I mean, I haven't been given the opportunities that John Piper has to pastor Bethlehem Baptist and launch desiring for God. I mean, look at the reward he will get. He won't get any greater reward than you will get teaching Sunday school in Hamilton Baptist Church. Because God is not looking for successfulness. He is just looking for faithfulness. Faithfulness in the setting that you've been set in faithfulness in the opportunities that have been given to you faithfulness that's all that God is looking for faithfulness I was interested to read that Bramwell Booth who was William Booth's son General William Booth of the Salvation Army when William was an old man and had lost his sight Bramwell his son came to him and said listen dad the doctors can't do anything more for your eyes Do you mean that I I am blind and I will remain blind for the rest of my life, son? I am sorry, Dad, but yes, that's the truth. Shall I never see your face again, he asked. No, Dad, you will never see my face again, at least not in this world. The general moved his hands and clasped his son's hand, and he said to his son, God must know best, Bramwell. I have done what I could for God and for people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God and people without my eyes. That's faithfulness. And he will be rewarded as much for the latter period of his life when he had no eyes than he will be for the work he did when he did have eyes. Faithfulness, the fruit of the Spirit then is faithfulness. Just a prayer before we sing our final song. Lord, as we close off this time in our service, we want to thank you that you're a faithful God. You've been faithful to us. Your love has been faithful. It's never faltered. Your word has been faithful. We have been able to stake our lives and we stake our, in, our eternity on it. So we thank you that you're faithful But Lord, we feel the challenge of you coming to take up residence in our hearts and overflowing into our lives. Help us, we humbly pray, to display something of that reliability, that dependability, that loyalty in the way that we live our lives and and in the way that we treat others so that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven.